Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I am your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go check out reallifepharmacology.com. Snag your free 31-page PDF. It's a study guide on the top 200 drugs. Lots of real-life clinical pearls in there that you absolutely need to know, as well as lots of things in there that often show up on pharmacology and board exams. So a great resource, great refresher, whether you're a practicing professional uh, or you're taking uh, board exams soon as a student. All right, so let's get into the drug of the day today, and that is lasmiditan. Brand name of this medication is Rayval, and this drug is used in the management of acute migraines. Okay. It is not a prophylactic agent. So with that said, and knowing that we use it for acute migraine treatment, uh, this drug is typically going to be uh, kind of a second or third line agent. And it's because it's a newer agent at this point. So brand name, very expensive, all that sort of stuff. Uh, mechanistically, this drug is a little bit different from the triptans. So it is a 5-HT1F receptor antagonist or serotonin 1F receptor, uh, excuse me, agonist, agonist. Uh, Now, if we compare that and contrast that to triptans, uh, triptans are 5-HT version 1B and 1D agonists, okay? And the critical difference there in the clinical difference as to why it might make a difference in practice, the 5-HT1B and 1D receptors have more of the activity of vasoconstriction versus lasmiditan only has the 5-HT1F receptor agonist activity. So it's going to generally avoid vasoconstriction. Now, where that comes into play is we've got lots of warnings and contraindications for patients who are at risk for cardiovascular disease or high risk for cardiovascular disease when using triptans. So we got to be really, really careful about using triptans in that type of patient population. Whereas lamiditan has a lower risk of that issue. So that's one of the, the big things clinically I think that's important to remember is we've got lower risk in patients that might have significant cardiovascular disease. So folks that have had an MI, uh, maybe they have uh, you know chronic stable angina, something like that. Maybe uh, they've got uncontrolled blood pressure. Uh, lasmiditan may be a less risky option in that patient population. Uh, finishing up a little bit on uh, the mechanism, uh, so 5-HT1F agonist activity, that's hypothesized to reduce activity of the trigeminal system, which is thought to play a role in migraine pain or development of, of migraine headache pain. Uh, again, with with migraines, um, it is all really uh not controversial, I guess, isn't the right word, but it's not well understood as far as 
what goes on with the migraine. As, as you can imagine, the brain is very complicated um, and studying it is very difficult. And so understanding exactly how some of these drugs work and uh, potentially the side effects they cause, it, it's difficult uh, to surmise just from the mechanism of action. So uh, with that said, uh, that act, reduced activity in the trigeminal system is what's thought to potentially provide the benefit in migraine treatment here. Uh, efficacy, as far as uh, you know, aborting a migraine headache and helping patients feel better, uh, it's close as, uh, to the triptans as far as efficacy goes, so that's nice. Uh, dosing, usually you're going to see 50 to 100 milligrams. It is oral dosing. It is given as a single dose to help manage that acute headache. This is an important distinction with triptans, okay? It is a one-time dose. Now, some of the triptans, I believe most of the triptans, uh, you can repeat the dose. With lismiditan, you cannot repeat the dose or it's not uh, supposed to be repeated, okay? So important distinction there. Uh, this drug is a controlled substance, so that's important, I think, to remember. Uh, what about adverse effect profile? So dizziness is actually the one that's been reported in the literature most, so that's something I think about, um, particularly maybe in patients that are a little bit older and that may be at risk for falls and things like that, so uh, important to keep that in mind. Uh, CNS depressant type activity has been reported. Uh, GI upset has been reported. Uh, but I would say the adverse effect profile isn't crazy high uh, with this uh, medication in general. So again, kind of going back and, and summing up where you're going to see this drug used. So first point, it is super expensive. And really, in my opinion, that cost is going to limit its use. And it's not going to be used ahead of the triptans. The primary exception where you might potentially consider it, you know, maybe after we've tried milder analgesics like acetaminophen and NSAIDs and things like that, um, caffeine maybe, um, where you're going to potentially see that maybe used ahead of triptans is where we have that contraindication of cardiovascular disease. So a patient with a history of, uh, you know, maybe multiple heart attacks, angina, uh, uncontrolled blood pressure, you know, mentioned kind of all those things before. So, that's a situation where you might see uh, lesmiditan used prior to uh, a triptan if a patient's got some of those contraindications. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for pharmacist board certification study material like pharmacotherapy, geriatrics, ambulatory care, BCMTMS exam or the NAPLEX, definitely go check out meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. We've got entire packages ready to go uh, based upon my experience in taking these exams as well as the experience of others. Uh, so they're really, really nice resources uh, that will certainly give you a lot better shot at, at passing these difficult exams for sure. If you're a healthcare professional, uh, maybe a nurse, physician, med student, We've got a ton of other resources on case studies, drug interactions, a recent book on drug-food interactions, so lots of different options there where you can help support the podcast 
as well as getting really nice resources uh, based on my clinical experience and things I've actually seen in practice. So again, go check out all those resources, meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. All right, so let's wrap up with drug interactions. Uh, The first two, I think, are pretty obvious based upon the mechanism and the side effect profile. So first I mentioned CNS depressant activity. Uh, It's not crazy high on my radar, but knowing lesmiditan can cause some of those adverse effects. If you've got a patient at high risk for that, maybe they're on sleepers, opioids, um, maybe they drink a lot of alcohol, uh, that's a situation where we we may see some of those additive effects. Uh, The second probably pretty obvious example is the serotonin risk. Um, If I've got a patient on sertraline 25 milligrams, sertraline 50 milligrams, something like that, a a low-dose SSRI, and that's all they're taking that has serotonergic activity, I can't say it's real high on my radar list that I'm going to worry about serotonin syndrome. But certainly, in theory, uh, it could happen depending upon uh, the dosing and things like that. So um, with that said, if, if I see a patient that's on multiple serotonergic drugs, maybe high-dose SSRI, uh, maybe somebody's doing a TCA or something for pain as well or, or something wacky like that, uh, and then maybe another provider throws on tramadol, which has some serotonergic activity, then my, my flag starts to, to get uh, a little bit higher and I'm a little bit more concerned about the potential risk for serotonin syndrome. So uh, keep that in mind with this medication. Uh, it could potentially add to that effect. All right, two last drug interactions I want to mention. So uh, one I haven't really talked about much, but uh, BCRP or ABCG2 substrates can have their concentrations increased by lesmiditan, okay? And there are, I think, in the neighborhood of five or ten drugs that are somewhat common um, that are considered these substrates. Um, But I would say the two most important that I'm going to pull out here are rosuvastatin or Crestor, certainly very commonly used agent used to lower cholesterol, LDL specifically, uh, and sulfasalazine, okay, used in rheumatoid arthritis and other kind of inflammatory type situations. So rosuvastatin and sulfasalazine could have their concentrations increased when we add on lesmiditan, okay? Now, if we use this drug, you know, once a month, once every three months, once every six months for a migraine, probably not going to worry about it quite as much. Uh, but if you've got a patient using it frequently, uh, maybe several times per month, something like that, it, it might be uh, a little bit more of, of an alarming situation. So um, really keep an eye on that, and it really would be ideal probably to switch to a different agent. So, um, you know, if, if you can't uh, use or if you have to use lasmiditan, Uh, You've got no other migraine options. It works for the patient, so on and so forth. Uh, You generally want to avoid a drug like rosuvastatin, and we'd probably use something like atorvastatin, for example. 
Um, so think about that. Um, definitely there are some, some drug interactions with lismitatan. So, um, especially if you're not familiar with it or haven't seen it very often, uh, I definitely run that drug interaction screen because there are a couple of, of common agents like rosuvastatin and sulfasalazine that could have their concentrations increased. Uh, lastly, I wanted to mention agents that lower pulse. Uh, lismitatan has been associated with that. So if we've got an agent on a beta blocker, uh, digoxin, uh, maybe a calcium channel blocker like diltiazem or verapamil, those can all lower pulse. And adding it onto lesminitan, uh, that could be kind of an additive type effect. So something to kind of monitor there. And certainly we can look at heart rate there and easily monitor that. Um, but uh, it is an important interaction. I think that should be uh, noted for sure. All right, that should wrap up the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you picked up some clinical practice pearls. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, share us with a friend, uh, leave a rating, review on iTunes. All those things help us grow this podcast and help people learn about pharmacology and medication education. So please, please, please share it as much as possible. It's a free resource, uh, and we uh, intend to, to keep the podcast as a free resource going forward. With that said, your support at our sponsor, meded101.com slash store, helps keep this podcast free. So I'm greatly appreciative to those of you who have already purchased something there. Uh, if you're looking for a gift for somebody, maybe a, a pharmacy student, med student, anything like that, you can um, get them a little bit of education uh, by purchasing a book, uh, audible book, anything like that at meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. With that, I'm going to sign off. Uh, you can track me down, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCGP, BCPS on LinkedIn or email mededucation101 at gmail.com. And I thank you so much for listening today.